0: Good morning. Our New Testament passage, our sermon text, this morning comes from the epistle from James, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, which you will see printed in your order of worship. Please follow along. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God indeed. Let's pray and ask Him for His help in these next few minutes. Heavenly Father, the one who gives light and life and has spoken in your son. Would you speak to us now in these few minutes as we consider something terribly important, something that has to do very practically with all of our lives here. And in your wisdom, you have given us this passage of Scripture to impact our lives, to draw us into deeper relationship, deeper experience, and deeper practice of following Christ. And yet you use imperfect means, imperfect pastors to communicate your word. So would you please work in spite of me if need be, but bring your word to bear in our hearts. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Small things can bring great ruin and great destruction. I can remember when I was a sophomore, this was in January of 1986, I was a sophomore in high school, and I was coming out of my first period classroom. And I saw people from other classrooms streaming out and their faces were red and tears were streaming down their face. And, I could, and this was in multiple classrooms and so I couldn't quite understand what, what was going on. Why was everyone universally sad? And then I realized that all of these rooms also had TVs in them. And the reason why everyone was sad is because everyone had been watching the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger many of you here are old enough to remember that what my friends and classmates witnessed was the destruction on launch of this spacecraft. And see, we came to find out later the reason why this ship fell apart in mid-air and then tumbled to the earth was because of the failure of an O-ring. An O-ring, it was just this little piece of rubber that was a quarter of an inch thick. And it had failed to perform its function. And as a result of failing to seal, it allowed some hot, some super hot steam to escape. And it caused the, the uh, rocket booster to pull away from the ship. And as a result, the thing just fell apart hundreds, uh, thousands of feet in the air. And the shuttle came tumbling down and killed all seven astronauts on board. Much to the horror and shock of all who witnessed it. And what James is telling us here this morning in this passage is that within each of us, we also have a faulty O-ring. We have a small little thing, a small little muscle in our head that can also bring great destruction to ourselves and others. Or, when we're talking about this, it can also bring great blessing. It can be the instrument of of life for others either. But he says it's like a, a, an arrow dipped in poison. It's like a match. It can be like a match thrown into a dry forest. Causing destruction. Likewise our tongue can bring life and blessing to others. Or it can bring great hurt and ruin. So what we're going to do here just in the next few minutes. Is look at some of the word pictures that James has outlined for us. And how there is, in fact, even in spite of the very dire and serious nature of this passage, there is good news for us in Christ about how Jesus helps tame the tongue. All right, so if you're following along in your Bibles and your order of worship, we're looking at verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, that is good news for you in this sense. I read that, and I want to preach a short sermon because I don't want to say too much, and it's actually a pastor's peril to talk a lot and, and to get in trouble. It's kind of an occupational hazard. But it's good for you guys to also think about this as you begin instruction and as Eric begins to teach, you, uh, teach uh, and equip ministry leaders as well. It's good to hear this admonition from James about using our mouths. Now, I'm going to argue or I'm going to assert that the first five verses that we have here from James is actually giving us some positive ways to think about the tongue. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But we're going to look at the negative stuff first. And this is the stuff that I think impacts us the most, the stuff that we probably all know, maybe from experience or maybe even from practice, You know, there's the old saying, the old adage that sticks and stones do what? They break bones, right? Yeah, so good. Y'all participate in this, right? Sticks and stones break bones, but words can never hurt me. Those words right there are lies. I've broken four different bones in my life, and I have no problems anymore because of those broken bones, but I can remember words that were said to me 30, 35 years ago. It's like a wound. It's like a sticker. It's like a thorn that's still there, and it's if that you bring those words up, it just rubs me raw and I can still feel it. It's like it was just said. And so maybe, you, maybe you've maybe you felt the sting of that as well. And James knows it stings because look at how he describes these words. He says, it's like a fire. Burns stuff down. It's like poison. It brings destruction. A friend of mine was... Um, preaching one time at a campus ministry and he was explaining how God is our father. And so he was using a, a text, I think maybe Matthew three and, um, a, a young woman came up to him afterwards and said, I'm very intrigued by your sermon and I'm, I'm very compelled, but I feel whenever you talk to me about God being my father, that's just, ugh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That just, that just puts me at a distance. And he said, well, why? <laughs> and she didn't sugarcoat it. She basically said, because my father was a jerk. And she began to say, I can tell you at one point in my life when it re- I began to realize how uh, how destructive my relationship with my father was. I was in, she was in high school and she was uh, getting dressed and getting ready for uh, a special event. She was actually supposed to receive an award. And so she came downstairs and Uh, She she looked great, she was dressed and ready Her mom gave her compliments And then her dad saw her and said Huh, that dress kind of makes you look fat What a dumb, stupid, acidic, biting thing to say But that was a tipping point for her Well, if dad thinks I'm ugly If dad thinks I'm fat Then what does the rest of the world think of me? And so for a time, that was, as I said, a tipping point For her spiraling Really out of control because she had this horrible sense of who she was because of those biting words. And that was really a pattern that had been throughout her life and her relationship with her father. And see, isn't it the case, this is especially if if you're married or you have good friends or children, that if we live in proximity with people, we get to know them, Oh, we kind of know what words to use to get under their skin. Not just to get under their skin, but to kind of provoke them, to dig at them. And maybe uh, you've you've used those words. Or maybe you've had those words directed at you. Those flaming darts. This is what James James is warning us against. This is what he is wanting to direct us against. And part of the reason is because he says, whenever you do that, whenever you use your mouth in that capacity... You are not living up to who you already are in Christ. You're being a hypocrite. Now, you guys have not had the benefit of hearing me preach through all of James. Actually, one person here has, Caitlin. Um, But one of the James's concerns throughout the book is hypocrisy, and he talks about it earlier in chapter two. And here he's bringing it up again. Whenever you use your mouth like that, there is a fundamental lack of integrity on your part. You are not whole right? You're broken apart. We become less than who we're supposed to be as Christians by the way that we use our mouth. That's this, the stuff that he's talking about. How is it that you can sit here in church and sing and pray and bless God? And then you immediately leave and maybe gripe about the people who are sitting in the pews next to you. Oh, I can't believe what she was wearing. I can't believe he did this. Boom, 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 right? That we can be hypocrites, now, let me ask you this, because you're a, you're, you're a young church. Our church is relatively young as well. How would the evil one, if he wanted to decide to tear up Ascension Presbyterian Church, how would he do it? How would Satan get in here and make a mess? I mean, there's lots of different things that we, you could think of. Would, um, would it be that Eric starts teaching something other than sound, robust, reformed theology? Well, that could do it. But that kind of thing is a slow trickle. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not as if someone's going to come in and start denying, or Eric's going to deny the Trinity or the Lordship of Christ, or that stuff would just immediately begin to to break down the church. Rather, and sadly, we see this throughout church history, and we can even see this in, in our midst. You don't have to think probably much further back than your own lifetime to see how this works. It's not formal doctrinal heresy that will tear up the church, but the material heresy of gossip, of lying, of tearing each other down with your words, of doing exactly what James is talking about here, of of, of having our speech work like a kind of battery acid, corroding the bonds of relationship and affection and love, a willingness to think and then to speak those thoughts out loud In a way that's uncharitable and unkind and unforgiving. I sense what I'm saying, and this is what James is worried about for us and for our church, for your church, and this is my church too, um, that he doesn't want us to misuse our speech and then tear up the body of Christ. Because words can and do wound deep. So how then, how do we use our mouths? Because part of the problem is sometimes we come into conflict. We don't agree with one another. We kind of bump up against one another. Some, somehow we've been offended or something like that. So how do we use our mouths when we are in conflict with folks? I mean, because I, I just got back from a presbytery meeting, and I'm thinking, gosh, how ironic, how sad that I'm preaching this passage because I was just, uh, and some of this was to Eric, just bumping my gums. I can't believe this pastor was doing this. I can't believe he was thinking that. The scriptures actually give us direction about how it where to use our mouths, how it is that we are to relate in conflict. Go to Matthew chapter 18, or obviously you can go to the class that you're going to be having about conflict resolution, and I'm sure that what you're going to hear at that class is instruction from Matthew 18. And you see, the most important thing to do if you have a problem with someone is to go directly to, to them. That seems the most challenging, the most difficult, the hardest, because you have to look at this person eyeball to eyeball and said, when you said this, I heard this, I felt like that. Ugh, the weight of uncomfort. And yet, this is exactly what God calls us to do. He doesn't say, well, I'm just going to have a quick, he doesn't say, go have a quick conversation with others. Or, you know, put it on the prayer chain, right? Or, or, Or activate the small group or something, or make a prayer request. Oh, someone said this, and We should pray for them about that. Rather, we should trust the process, and the process is going directly to one another. Uh, I heard of a a Lutheran pastor, actually, a friend of a friend. A guy came into his office and said, you know, Pastor Bob, whatever his name was, you know, so-and-so in the church has really been doing this and this and this, and I really think you need to say something. Pastor Bob didn't say one thing. He picked up the phone, called the guy and said, hey, Steve wants to talk to you. Boom, handed him the phone. And then walked out of the office. Let them deal with one another directly. That's a good pastor, right? You're thinking, oh, I hope Eric doesn't hear this. But that's a good pastor. Because what it does is it keeps that spark, which can turn into an inferno, it keeps it from passing from one person to the next. It keeps it from raging. It keeps the destruction to a minimum, and it actually frees up the gospel to work with one another. If we believe in grace and charity and mercy and forgiveness, then let's put it into practice one-on-one. It's hard, but we have the freedom and the power to do that in the gospel. And that's what James, I think, also wants to highlight, and it's actually in the first part of this passage that we're looking at in James chapter 3. You see, speaking not only has the power of destruction to tear down, to poison, to burn out relationships. But speaking words also, as Christians, in a godly fashion, also has the power for transformation, for blessing, for change. And you see, this makes sense when we think about who God is. Because how did God bring everything that is into existence? He didn't have a high-powered Lego set, right? He spoke it into existence. God's speech itself is a kind of blessing, an affirmation of goodness and truth and beauty. And so our speech, how we use our mouths, our tongue has the power to glorify God and also to bless others. And we can see that in verse 5. Now, James says that the tongue has power to make grand claims. Well, I don't think that's necessarily bad. Right, Because he's saying that the tongue is this small thing and yet it can control and move. Ships, for example, it's a bit in the mouth of the horse. The bit harnesses the largeness and the wildness of the horse. The rudder is small, but it turns the whole ship. It has power to do great things, to accomplish things. So also the tongue. So also your tongue's. You see, the tongue is a controlling faculty for us. The tongue actually is, in many ways, the focal point for godly living. You can see this in verse 2. The power of encouraging words enables us to see and it enables us to impart even dignity and worth and usefulness to others in the kingdom of God. Did you know you have all of that by the power of God? Some of you have heard of um, R.C. Sproul. He's a minister in our denomination, very well known. He's had a a teaching ministry for going 30, 40 years. And uh, when he was a little boy, he was teased for, I don't know, just various and sundry reasons. He was exceptionally smart, as you might have guessed, if you know who R.C. Sproul is. Um, He's just kind of a quiet kid. And he said he remembers when he was maybe third grade, the age of my son right now, Uh, getting a paperback from one of his teachers. And the teacher said, R.C., you write so well. I hope you write a book one day. And he thought, me? Write a book? But from that point on, think about that, in third grade, and now this man's into his 70s, I have a gift. Someone thinks I'm special. Someone thinks I have something that I can use. And ultimately, he put that to use in God's service. Think about how just that simple, seemingly throwaway uh, praise changed one person's life. We don't know how it all connects, but we do see that God uses that kind of thing. also read a story a while back about um, the Vietnam War, uh, and there were prisoners who were American prisoners of war kept by the Vietnamese in what they called the uh, Hanoi Hilton. Remember uh, when John McCain was running for president, he talked about that. His story is fairly well known. And um, the American prisoners of war were kept uh, in the Hanoi Hilton, and they were tortured, and they underwent all kinds of uh, different ways of being mistreated. But one of the most effective the Vietnamese found was by isolating the prisoners from one another, so that they wouldn't be able to speak to one another, so that they wouldn't be able to engage with one another socially. But you know what those soldiers did? They weren't just going to go mad, trapped in the thoughts of their own head. They realized they needed other people. They needed words. And so they actually came up with their own language, with taps on the wall or the pipes or whatever they had. And so they could communicate all throughout the Hanoi Hilton uh, just, just by tapping to one another. And so what would happen is they would, after they had developed this language, and I can't imagine how much creativity uh, this took, they would begin to tell stories to one another to encourage uh, the the other prisoners. And if one of these other people began uh, began to fall out of contact, like they didn't hear uh, taps coming from one room, all the rest would join in, start tapping. Hey man, where are you? We miss you. You need to join back in the conversation. They wouldn't let someone fall out. So even when they couldn't speak, they still spoke because they realized that their words had power to save. And for many of them, that was the difference between despair and perseverance, giving up and holding on these words of life and care. And so we need, especially as Christians, especially as those who understand the stakes of life, the gravity of life, what God has called us to, what He has freed us to, what He has tasked us with to see our lives and our time to help others. Not that life is a prison, but to to reach out to others, to use our speech, to use our words, to bless. Because that is not something just for pastors. This is something for all of us that we can encourage and build one another up to bring life, to bring hope, Bring help to others. Now maybe you're at this point in the sermon and you're thinking, that's enough because, um, you know, this. I, I agree with what this uh, guy is saying. No human being can tame the tongue. I, you realize how maybe you have used harsh words with your family, with people at work, with people, you, friends that, people that used to be called friends and now you're alienated from. Or you don't even think that you could ever forgive because of some, something someone said to you that was so profoundly hurtful. And so you're asking, well, what am I supposed to do with all this? Where is my hope? Where, how can I even begin to do this? We see verse 8 is actually good news. No human being can tame the tongue. But God in Christ can help change the heart that directs the tongue. We need someone from outside of us to come in to speak words of life and love that would so transform us, so change us, so compel us that we would begin to be able to live out what James is talking about here. And indeed, we have that in the person of Jesus Christ. Because think about how the New Testament in a couple of different places actually talks about Jesus. John chapter 1, who is he? In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus Himself is God's Word. He is God's speech for you, for us. Hebrews chapter 1. In these last days God has done what? God has spoken to us by His Son. So you're thinking, how can my life change? How can my tongue change? It's because God has spoken to you concretely, tangibly, not just with abstracts, abstract words, but with a personal word, the person of Christ. And it is by looking to Him in faith, by sharing in His life by faith, that we're able to hear these words, this counsel of James, and not despair, not feel torn down, but rather built up. There is hope. There is mercy. There is a word for me of life. And it's given in his son. Will you come to him this morning? Will you come back to him? Will you let God's word, what he says about you in Christ, be definitive? I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are my beloved. You are my child. And let that define you and free you. And how you speak to others and how you receive the speech of others. It only happens, can only happen in Christ, and he invites you to himself this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, It is in you and you alone that we have the word of life. To who else could we turn? Too often, in too many ways, we indeed turn to other things to give us satisfaction, to give us hope. And very often we defend these idols with the sharp, biting words of our mouth. Would you, for Christ's sake, forgive us and give us a new song to sing, new words to speak, a new way of thinking about how it is that we speak to you and to others based on the finished work of Jesus for us. It's in his name we pray and for his sake. Amen.